who have been practicing for quite a while but don't feel like they're making much progress? Mm -hmm. Well, if you've, if you've been practicing for quite a while and you haven't been making much progress, it probably means that there's something that you're not doing quite right or maybe might be a little at attitude problem or something like that. So, um, well, I suppose it depends on what you mean by practicing quite a while. If you've been practicing for many, many months, uh, half an hour here and 45 minutes two or three days later and half an hour a few days after that, then uh, it's probably the uh, lack of consistency more than anything else. But if you mean that you've been practicing with some reasonable de degree of consistency, uh, as in every day, almost every day, for a reasonable amount of time, then something's, you know, something's in the way of, of it working for you. So you're maybe trying to do something that can't be done. That's most likely the case. You're trying to do something that can't be done. You just need to understand that that can't be done, so you quit trying, and then you practice will move ahead. So, is that the kind of experience you have? Or do you feel like, they, are you speaking more generally? Yeah, um, I, my practice is very consistent, like at least a half an hour every day. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I feel, and I, I certainly recognize the benefits in, you know, life and other things, or I wouldn't keep doing it, obviously, but, um, but it doesn't seem to be progressing in a, in a in terms of insight. In terms of insight? Okay. Well, you, well, so and, until you've got a certain amount of concentration, you know, attentional stability, and, uh, and you're able to sustain a, a high level of awareness, uh, you can't really conduct the kind of investigation that's going to produce insight. So there's, you know, those are those are prerequisites. And also, we need to be clear what we're talking about. Do you, by insight, do you mean vipassana? Do you mean super mundane insight? Or do you mean just sort of ordinary, everyday insight into why I keep doing the same dumb things over and over? All three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, when, it, when it comes to ordinary insights, thinking about them is rarely going to produce any genuine insight. Uh, because if, if it was going to, it would have a long, long time ago. Right? Uh, so uh, thinking about ourselves and our situations is going to follow the same old familiar tracks over and over again and, and rarely produce much in the way of a new result. Usually the only time it produces a new result is when some major shift happens in your life, you know, things start to fall apart a bit, and then you look at the same thing and that, that'll shake you out of your usual rut and then you can see something in a new way. But just as a general principle, um, 
privately thinking about yourself and your life situation is rarely going to produce any more result than it did the first time or two that you thought about those things. And you've probably noticed that. So, the kind of insight that meditation produces into, uh, into our worldly affairs and, and our, the nature of how our personality functions and things like this, these emerge very strongly when we get to the stage where uh, we have pretty stable concentration that we're staying on our meditation object for quite long periods of time without uh, too much tendency of the mind to be drawn one way or another or sink into dullness. And then, and then important insights begin to emerge in the meditation. So that's the condition for that. In, in terms of the 10 stages of the practice, that will begin happening when, you, when you've been pre-practicing pretty solidly at the fourth stage for a while, when you're getting ready to move maybe to the fifth stage, meaning that you're no longer losing your meditation object and, and you're able to stay with your meditation object in spite of other distractions. And the reason for that is when your mind acquires that degree of stability, you start to be aware more and more of what's happening in your mind as a whole. I mean, in order to be able to recognize a distraction that is has a tendency to draw your attention away so that you can keep it from drawing your attention away, means that you have a lot of introspective awareness of what's going on in your mind at, the, at that moment. And your mind is much less concerned with, you know, ordinary, mundane, day-to-day -day concerns. And this is what creates the opportunity for something uh, that of a deeper, more profound kind of insight to arise. Then when you move into the fifth stage, where you're really stable, and there's very little dullness present, and mainly your focus is to overcome whatever dullness is present, that, uh, that's when things really start coming up of that nature. And that can even become uh, a, a bad habit. Like, oh good, I sit down and, and I start to uh, realize that all my problems were because I'm, I'm this way or that way, or this happened to me, or you know, sort of like a private psychotherapy session. And, and that's not a good thing to get caught into. But that is exactly the stage in the practice where you start to have some really clear insights. You know, and you can recognize that, you know, this is a, this is a pattern that I've been stuck in for a long time. It's not for me to let go of this and move on. Or you recall things that, uh, that happened long ago and aren't really relevant, but they're still affecting the way you interact with people every day. And you can see those and recognize them and let them go. So that kind of insight is entirely dependent on creating the right conditions, which is that your mind has to start becoming uh, calm in the sense of you're no longer thinking about all the ordinary things that your mind usually thinks about, so that things can emerge from a deeper level. And you have that stability of mind and that introspective awareness that helped you to get that stability of mind. So, 
the way you get that is to create those conditions. Now, in terms of supermundane insight, this, what we're talking about here is, uh, is the uh, insight into uh, three characteristics, uh, insight into <coughs> emptiness. And most of the time, that's the result of a lot of intensive investigation. It's taking the mental focus that you've already developed, taking the mental clarity that you've developed, and, and the uh, acute awareness that you've developed, and now applying it to what's actually going on in your mind and, and, and what's making up your experience on an ongoing basis. And that's, that's when you start to uh, have these kinds of uh, much deeper insights. And they start out in a not so super mundane way. But uh, as you persist, you, you'll begin to have a more uh, remarkable and, and distinct uh, distinctly non-ordinary experience with these truths. And once again, it's a question of creating the right conditions. It is the it is the stability of attention, and it is the uh, uh, it is the power of mindful awareness. But in, in the case of these insights, it's also the additional factor of investigation and. That investigation to be effective needs to be pretty continuous. Now, you can't sit down for an hour and investigate the nature of the mind, and then get up and just business as usual, um, start investigating again tomorrow at the same time, same stage, and expect much to happen. Uh, for those kinds of more uh, of, of truly, truly profound insights, the investigation has to be much more continuous. You're always watching your mind. You're watching how you react to every uh, everything that arises and passes away. And you're starting to discern for yourself, not out of some book you read or a Dharma talk you heard that, oh wow, yeah, there's, there's pleasure and then there's craving and then there's grasping. And then you start to see it happen. You need to get to that, that kind of place. That's the conditions for that. But if your current practice is half an hour a day, every day, um, that's a good start. I suggest extend it to an hour a day. And wherever you happen to be on that, uh, on, the, on that series of stages that describe how our uh, stability of attention increases and uh, our power of mind awareness increases, uh, recognize where you are and practice according that to, to where you are in order to move forward. That's how you create the conditions for the things that I talked about to happen. So wherever you are, if you're at stage three or stage four or, or stage six or wherever it is, just make your practice be one of doing what's appropriate to where you are. And, and all these other things that we talk about will happen by themselves as a result of creating the conditions. So I hope that's helpful. You know, if you need a more in-depth, uh, uh, personalized analysis of it, we'll not
find the time to, to do that. So, hello to those of you that stepped in after we already started talking. Good to see you. We, we were, everyone else was hoping that you would arrive with questions. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> and it was interesting listening to you talk because you were describing some things and I was like, wow, it's really different than my experience. And this has been happening a lot in meditation. Like, anyway, I read this article of the speech with him, like Shabbat or something. This person was talking about how when some people say that meditation makes the world look beautiful, it doesn't really just makes it clearer. And then I just kind of realized, it was like, well, that was true for that person. Yeah. So the thing was probably true for the other person, it probably did make it more beautiful. And so it seems like there's this thing where people just generalize they think with their own experiences and they claim it for everybody, you know. And so it's hard to sort all that stuff out, because then on the one hand, Jagged is feeling like, wow, geez, my experience that is really different than what so and so says. And then I think, yeah, maybe I'm doing it wrong, you know, it's hard to sort out all that stuff. We do all have different kinds of experiences, and in, in order to lay something out that everyone can follow and benefit from, we have to kind of get beyond the difference in experiences and, and get down to sort of the nitty-gritty level of what we pretty much all have in common and what uh, is taking place in this is the basic question, do we really? And I don't have any answer to that, but that's the basic question I have. I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> well, we can, in the sense that, you know, if, if we sort of start with the end in mind, you know, recognizing that uh, when, you're, when, your mind, when your mind goes wandering for five or ten minutes after two or three minutes of attending to something, you're obviously not going to gain much insight into anything. You know, and, and that's a pretty, that's an example of a pretty common experience that, mm -hmm. uh, as a starting point. But as it develops, there's also similarities, you know. Uh, during the course of the day, of the day, most of our mental activity has to do with very mundane, ordinary things that are, mm -hmm. and that's out of necessity, that, you know. You have to think about those because there's things that you have to take care of just to keep yourself functioning and keep your life going. So what everybody's going to find in meditation is that they sit down and a lot of that kind of stuff predominates. There, there's a lot of thoughts that keep coming up that are just the ordinary stuff that they're dealing with. That, you know. But what also everybody will notice is that if they keep practicing, uh, re refining and refocusing and stabilizing their attention, one of the effects that comes out of that is that your mind will be progressively less and less preoccupied with all of those ordinary thoughts, and they'll, uh, they'll become less frequent and, and uh, less, uh, less capable of capturing your attention. So that's what I mean. We have different kinds of experiences. Some people find that their meditations produce a lot of calm and tranquility and really pleasant right away. Uh, but not everybody does. Some people find their meditations, you know, uh, 
don't have any of those particular qualities at all, at least not until they get into quite deep stages of concentration. When you get into a much deeper stage of concentration, that and we get to another one of those things that pretty well universally happens. And that is when, when your mind truly starts to be spontaneously single-pointed, when there's a kind of effortlessness to re resting your mind on any one particular thing, whatever it happens to be, your mind stays there without you having to exert effort. There's a sort of unification that takes place in your mind and one of the results of that is it produces a joyful kind of feeling, a joyful and happy feeling. And that's another one of those things that's more or less universal. But there's all kinds of experiences before that that are completely individual. You know, this is an experience that relates to a particular uh, state, of, it's called titi, meditative joy, and it corresponds to a particular uh, state that your mind is in, a particular set of conditions that you've caused to arise through repeated practice. And the interesting thing about it is that just about anybody that does that, you know, when their mind comes to that state of effortless concentration, will experience a, a strong feeling of joy. That's one of those universals. So is this, you sort of see what I'm saying? That there's yeah, it seems like the question I have is something that can only be answered by experience. You can't really be answered. It's something can only be answered by? By experience. It doesn't seem like you can answer it. Okay. Of words, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but if you, if you have a question in a form that we could, Answer, but really, the what's what's most helpful in this kind of session are, you know, if we can actually get to the things that are the commonalities and where all of our minds minds work, and the things that we can all do to to uh, produce a different kind of result. Hmm. If I guess what's going on with mindfulness seems really helpful. Right mindfulness, what? Seems like it's a really the right thing to be doing by mindfulness practice for much of the said, and All the other theory just seems kind of... Did you say mindfulness does or does? It seems like it is, yeah. Like it is. Like, well, I was it seems like, it, yeah. it's like a good thing to be doing. It is very much a good thing to be doing. Right. And all the rest of it as to where it goes and what's actually ultimately possible and what it means and all that. Actually, at this point, it seems a little detrimental to think about all that stuff. Well, in a sense, all of this is, is about developing mindfulness, and learning to use mindfulness, learning to sustain mindfulness. Mm -hmm. You know, being mindful is just like learning to pay attention to your breath. You say, oh, get out of bed this morning and say, well, I'm going to be mindful all day. And the next thing you know, three hours of fasting, you forgot to be mindful of it. So it's, it's exactly the same kind of process. You know, uh, this word mindfulness. Hi, it's good to see you.
this word mindfulness, it's good to just look at it and say, well, what do we mean by mindfulness anyway? What are we, what are we talking about? And what we are referring to is that when you're conscious of anything, no matter what it is, and we're more or less conscious of all kinds of things all day long, right? Even when we're asleep, we're conscious of things in dreams. But when you're conscious of anything, you can be more or less fully conscious of what it is that you're conscious of, right? And so mindfulness is... Uh, when we say the word mindfulness, what we're really talking about is how fully conscious we are. So, uh, mindfulness is an easier thing to say than fully conscious awareness, but that's really what we mean by it, is fully conscious awareness, not half-asleep awareness, dull awareness, distracted awareness, uh, awareness divided in six different directions at once. One of the things that's, I think, uh, sort of accidentally very appropriate about the word mindfulness is that, as you've heard me say before, your mind is not one thing, it's many things. It's many different mental processes. And Whatever you're conscious of in a particular moment, out of all of the different kinds of things that you are aware of in that moment, you know, there's, while you're listening to my voice and you're not thinking about your foot at all, there is still an awareness of the sensations in your foot. Now that I've mentioned it, you probably become much more fully aware of those sensations, but they were there all the time. There was an awareness all the time, you know, uh, and th this is true. Uh, there are thoughts passing through your mind as I'm talking to you. There are all sorts of visual, auditory, tactile, and other awarenesses that are present. But you may more be more or less fully conscious of any of those at any time, and it can constantly change. An instant by instant it does. You know, you're more conscious of what I'm saying and then your ear itches. And you're more conscious of your ear itching and scratching it. And, and you might have missed two or three words I said, but you know, then if you sort of fill them in or, or else just skip over them or whatever. So when we talk about mindful, we're talking about how fully conscious you are of whatever it is is in the focus of your awareness at the moment. And that also reflects, considering that your mind is a lot of different mental processes concerned with a lot of different things. I mean, there's some mental process that's concerned with odd sensations in your body, like in your feet, in your ear. And it's not terribly interested in what I'm talking about, right? So you have all these different mental processes, but when they start to function more cohesively, 
then the quality of your consciousness becomes more, what would you say, full-minded. And so that's another way, that's what I mean about there's sort of an accidental meaning to the word mindfulness, which is very appropriate. And that's when you're being mindful, it means that, you know, more of all of these different mental processes are kind of on board with the same task at the same time. And that's why you're more fully conscious of it, and why your attention isn't scattered or unstable and wavering going here and there. That's, so that's the meaning of, of mindfulness. But mindfulness by itself, to accomplish anything, you have to do something with it. And that means that you focus it on something that is worth, that it is in some sense worth focusing that mindful awareness on. And that's where your insights come from. That's where your understanding grows. That is, that is the path of insight, is to cultivate powerful, mindful awareness, and then use that to investigate phenomena. Oh, good to see you. Glad you made it back in time. So that you're hiding in the corner somewhere again. There she is. So we develop mindfulness, but we have to use it. And not only do we have to use it, we have to use it in the right way, or it's not going to accomplish very much. Uh, and so, this is, this is the, the end that we're working towards in all of this practice, is we cultivate the ability to stabilize our attention, and cultivate the ability to uh, exercise powerful mindful awareness, and then through, through the teaching and Dhamma study and things like that, we learn how to use our mindfulness in a way that's effective and uh, uh, contributes towards our goal of a much deeper uh, self-understanding and a much deeper understanding of the nature of the reality we live in. That's, that's, that's the path we're following. Yes? When you speak about um, mindfulness as a practice of conscious awareness and when we are fully um, developed, aren't we still selective in our um, conception and our, um, not conception, in our perception of the world and of what, what we choose as, as awareness points? Well, what, yeah, yes, so you're, you're saying that when we become mind, when we are exercising our mindfulness and, and practicing mindful awareness, are we still selective in uh, what we uh, attend to? Okay. Uh, Excuse me, in other words, it would be, can we, when we really realize the full awareness, have that whole concept always in our mind, the whole picture? The whole picture of, of everything, you'd have yeah. to really, yeah. really develop and stretch your capacity. That's the thing that uh, you say, are we still selective? Yes, we are. We have to be. Because we do not, as human beings, have the capacity of conscious awareness to be fully aware of everything, uh, to, to be fully conscious 
of everything of which our different senses are aware and of everything that's taking place in our mind. You know, so we have a limited capacity for conscious awareness, which is why when you're out there doing your daily thing, your attention keeps going from one thing to another because you've only got this limited capacity and your mind shifts its attention so that that limited capacity gets devoted to whatever is most important. When you're practicing mindful awareness, though, you're obviously going to still have to be selective. But it's not a question, uh, it's no longer necessary, you know, that you uh, are intentionally focused on one particular kind of thing. When you sit down to meditate, you keep bringing your attention back to the meditation object when it wanders. So that's, but when you're practicing mindful awareness, uh, when you're no longer in the training stage, when you're no longer in the weightlifting stage, when you're out in the world doing things with your mindful awareness, then at that point, what you want your mindful awareness to do is to, the selectivity is going to happen by itself. And one of the things you can be mindful of is just that fact that there's no I that's doing the selecting. The selectivity is arising out of the operation of the mind. Whatever, whatever your mind happens to uh, direct attention towards, uh, something is taking place and you find that your mind goes to that, you can be fully mindfully aware of what it is that you're experiencing. But then the really deep and, and, and productive aspect of your mindful awareness is you are noticing not just what you are hearing, for example, but how your mind is reacting to that. You know, is it pleasant or is it unpleasant? Is there desire or aversion or anger or whatever arising? And so in addition to cultivating just the simple power of mindful awareness. The other thing that happens in our meditation is we cultivate the habit of being introspectively aware. Because you can be super, super powerfully, mindfully aware of the sensations of your breath, but that won't keep your mind from wandering. What will keep your mind from wandering is that you will be aware when a thought has arisen that has the power to draw your attention away, and then when you return your attention to your breath. So when you meditate, you develop powerful mindful awareness, which can be focused on the objects of your awareness, but you've also developed the habit of being introspectively aware. And that's where all the really important stuff happens, is that introspective awareness. So good to have the rest of you who come to join us. Wonderful to see you here. Yes. Could you give an example of what you were just explaining to Hana? An example, a specific example of something that might occur in your daily life uh, that would be enhanced. Your mindfulness would be enhanced. Having your mindfulness enhanced for the experience of what your mind focuses on enhanced by your meditation practice, but it's something that's going on in your daily life. Mm -hmm. Can you a conversation, a, I don't know, 
What was the last thing you said? Making a salad. Making a salad. Right. Okay. We're, we're kind of getting into the meditation time, so I'm going to keep this answer short, and then we can continue it afterwards. But an example. If you are, if you have developed strong mindful awareness in your meditation, I should repeat the, the, the question, but it's about an example of how this would happen in the world. Okay. So... If you've developed powerful mindful awareness as a result of doing regular practice, or maybe you've been in retreat for a week or whatever like that, and as a result of that, you've also developed the habit of introspective awareness, and then you might find yourself doing some very ordinary thing like washing the dishes. Well, you will be far more aware, just naturally, and, and I think any of you who have been in a, re- in a retreat for a length of time doing a, uh, either concentration or mindfulness practice, I'm sure you've experienced this. You come out of the retreat, and then everything you do, you're just so much more aware of it. So if you're washing dishes, you're, you know, in, instead of the just mindfulness movement of the hands, you're, you're really aware of how you're holding the glass and things like that. And it's just become a habit. But more interestingly is that because of that introspective aspect of it, there is more awareness of what's going on in your mind. I mean, oh, this, you really like this. This is your favorite <coughs> glass. Well, you know, I never realized I had a favorite glass before, but I like this one better than these other ones. And, you know, things like that. You just, uh, if something happens, you know, if, uh, if you're washing dishes and, and something unexpected happens, maybe something breaks, maybe something falls on the floor or something like that. If you are, if, if you are in that state of being, being mindful and being introspectively mindful, you right away notice the, the, the reaction. Is there, is there irritability? Is there impatience? Is there the thought of, oh, so-and-so shouldn't have? You know, it's just, it's like, it's right there. It's just waiting for you to notice it. Well, that's another thing. Something's broken, and, and you notice the difference in your reaction. You know that that uh, it, when you've been when you've been practicing, even your daily practice is going to generate so much more equanimity than we have when our mind is just running loose and conditioning itself in all of these unwholesome ways. So, uh, whether you're coming out, of, coming out of a retreat or whether it's your daily practice, you're going to find a lot more equanimity. You broke your favorite glass and said, yeah, okay, stuff like that happens. You know? uh, and sometimes thoughts like, well, next time I'll pay more attention or be more careful. So, 